0: I'll be preaching to you from down here this morning because, as you can see, well, actually, if no one said it to you yet this morning, Merry Christmas. (laughs) Welcome to church this morning. Uh, We today are finishing up our series on the seven churches of Revelation. And um, I know it's been seven weeks to get through two chapters in the Bible, but I think that it's been a time of um, healthily, inwardly looking at our own church at our own body, to see where we are at and where we need to continue to improve and where we need to continue to uh, reach out to. It's a letter where, to seven specific churches that have seven specific spirits to them. Not um, anything weird or spooky, but, but for example, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> still getting over this uh, summer cold. The last seven churches we looked at, Ephesus, was a church that had lost its first love. And that needed to reclaim that love and that passion. It had great doctrine, but it needed to reclaim the love that it had for God in the beginning. So the spirit that that had was sort of a spirit of, of apathy. Smyrna was a church that, um, that, that was really one of the only churches that was fully praised. It, it gave more than it received. That church actually, uh, when we look at what is a good church, it wasn't a church with a amazing children's program, uh, amazing youth program, amazing preaching and teaching and worship, and, and it wasn't a spectacle to see or anything like that. It was simply a community of people who were willing to give up their lives for the gospel. And that's what that church looked like, a <coughs> spirit of giving. Pergamum was a church um, that began to reflect the culture more than it did um, Christ. And we began to see this trend in these churches that they began to look a lot more like their communities than they actually did the body of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called. I mean, we're called the body of Christ, right? Each one of us, we're called the body of Christ. And so corporately together, we ought to look like Jesus. And, and these people began to look a lot more like this nation in the city of Pergamon than they did their own king, Jesus. Thyatria was a church that um, excuse me, like I said, I've had the a church that had a firm grasp on the resurrection promise of Christ or I mean, a church that <clears throat> needed a firm grasp on the resurrection promise of Jesus Christ. Um, the next city was Sardis. They were willing to give up um, some safety for some innovation and the church of Philadelphia last week that we looked at um, was a church that was characterized by faith, not by fear. They didn't live into the fear. They took any uh, any bit of fear. They took any bit of um, trepidation. They took any bit of um, things that might look like uh, an obstacle, and they turned them into an opportunity. And that's what the church did. And today we're looking at the church of Laodicea. It's in uh, Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. If you would like to go there with me, I believe it will be up on the screens as well we're going to read that in a second. I think the major question that we have to ask ourselves through this series is, do we offer something different to the world? Do we offer something different as the body of Christ than would any great social organization that does good things? I saw on uh, Facebook this morning, somebody posted, it doesn't matter what you believe, it matters how you behave. And I thought, okay, okay. That's one of the problems with our culture, is but we need to recognize that how we behave comes from what we believe. And so what we believe is very important. Um, I think that people now are beginning to say, it doesn't matter what you believe, it just matters how you behave, um, and as long as you're a good person. Well, there's a lot of entrenched thinking in all of that. There's a lot of theology behind that. There's a lot of what you actually believe behind what our actions are. It starts, Jesus knew because he started in the heart. He always talked about how it's a heart revolution. It's it's how the heart changes. And, And that influenced the way people believed. I mean, imagine what he said. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you believe is how you behave. So if you see that on Facebook, you know, people tag all these pictures and all that stuff. Tell them that your pastor thinks they're wrong. <laughs> and then pastorals on Facebook, tag Earl in that. That. Okay. <laughs> oh, actually, before we get too far into this, in two weeks we're starting a new series called Average Joes. And if you're an average Joe, or maybe you're a little bit newer to faith in Jesus, well, we're, here's what we're doing. We're going to go through and say, I don't get it. I don't get church, I don't get why we all show up every week and and worship, I don't get why the pastor up here comes and does a message, I don't get um, the gospel, I don't get what it is that we believe. If you're, if you're been with us for a long time, here's, yeah, one, a way to communicate it when somebody says, I don't get it. You're going to get a way to communicate it. Two, we invite you to um, bring and, and to just, don't even invite, just grab them and bring them. Um forcefully, uh, to, to church, people would say, I just don't get it. I don't get what this is. I don't get why people wake up and give up a Sunday. I don't get why people go serve the needy. I just don't get it. We invite you to bring them because we're just going to lay it out as simply as possible in the, the last week of July and the, in the month of August. We're just going to lay it all out as simply as possible. And so we'd like to invite you to bring, uh, your friends to that. (coughs) Actually be nice. Don't, don't drag. Um, Back to, our, back to today, Laodicea was probably one of the better known churches. As I read through this, you'll probably go, oh, I've heard this either in popular culture or I've heard this in church before. I've heard this in a lot of different places. It's one of the most referenced letters in the book of Revelation. Um, it's one of the most referenced letters in any sermon out there in the seven churches. So let's just go through this and begin reading. <clears throat> Excuse me. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are a wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can overcome your shameful nakedness and slav to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. So like I said, many of you have probably heard a little bit of this letter before. Let me lay out what the city of Laodicea looked like. It was actually at the center of a lot of trading routes. And so it was a very rich and prosperous city. Uh, this city was known for its wealth. It had three chief industries. The industries, and they're referenced all throughout the letter, but the three industries that they had, <clears throat> me, the three industries that they had were banking, uh, textiles, so clothing manufacturing and um, medical supplies, equipment, and a medical school. And so they had these three industries that characterized this town. And because of these three industries, they were super wealthy. Their banking industry took in money from all over the place and brought it into the center of the town because um, it was at the center of trade routes. So common traders would come in. If they had a large deposit, it was not safe to travel at the time with a lot of money because people would uh, rob you and take it from you and... What are you going to do, call the FBI, call the police? I mean, there's really nothing you could do. And so they would deposit it in the town, so the town was just loaded with wealth. In fact, the town was, took great pride in the fact that they were destroyed twice by earthquakes. And two times, they didn't need to stop taxes to Caesar. They didn't need um, any outside help, but they built their town back up completely by themselves. They didn't need any outside help. They were able to finance the entire operation Two times within a couple hundred years of each other, which is a pretty big deal in the ancient world. I mean, we see buildings come up and come down pretty readily and pretty easily. In Las Vegas, they're always imploding something and just a skyscraper goes up the next day. Um, you look at different skylines and skyscrapers just go up and come down. No big deal. Well, this was a big deal in the ancient world. You couldn't just say, oh, we're just going to build a new building. Uh, it'll be done in a year. It it was a 30, 40, 50 year process for some of these buildings. So it was a pretty remarkable deal that they've completely rebuilt themselves twice in the span of a couple hundred years. Because of this, the city looked at themselves and said, we don't need anybody else. We don't need help from the outside world. We don't need the emperor to come in and bail us out. We're good. We're self-reliant. We don't need help from anybody. The church began to look this way as well. Um, the church began to say, hey, we don't need help from anybody else, so we're not being persecuted. We're okay. The this, this city, you know, the one thing about the city, although it was rich, although it was powerful, although it, they made their own clothing, they made medical supplies, so there was more readily available in the town, although they had all of it, the one thing about the city was that they were cut off their source of life, which was water. And the church began to reflect this as well. They were cut off from their source of life, who is Jesus. And so here's the way that John, or or Jesus through John's writing, (coughs) says this. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. There were natural hot springs to the north of them. And people traveled there on vacation to go sit in these natural hot springs because they had a medicinal and it was believed a healing value that they, they had. I just think hot springs smell funny. They smell like sulfur, kind of gross. And then below them in Colossae, they had natural cool springs, which people came from all over to drink. So people drank this cool, refreshing water. But Laodicea was sort of in the middle of areas where they couldn't get that water pumped to them and, and it was difficult to get water. And so six miles away, their water was pumped to them through clay pipes. And so as, these wa- as this water would come into the city, it was full of clay and rocks and it was dirty. It was almost like if you were to pour it into a glass and hold it up and look at it, you would have been looking at some, you know, the murky coffee water you get at the bottom of your iced coffee? Yeah, you guys all say, yeah, I know that because I love that murky coffee water at the bottom of... I, I wait, I get extra ice in my coffee so that I can have murky coffee water. I know. But they would have been looking at like this murky, disgusting, clay-ridden, lukewarm water. And in medicine at the time, lukewarm water w- is used for um, inducing vomiting. So if you had somebody who was very sick, they believed they had to get whatever was inside out. Um, these philosophies um, in medicine were around for a long time. You've heard of bloodletting and that's how George Washington died. So if you didn't know, like you could at least leave church today saying at least I learned something. George Washington died of Um, bloodletting. Medicine, they believed you had to get whatever was inside that was bad out of you and so they would give you lukewarm water to induce vomiting. And so this is what the drinking supply was for the entire town. Although they were self-reliant, although they had rich, they couldn't buy natural springs. Although that they had um, a rich clothing industry, although they had medicine like crazy in their town, they couldn't get good water in the town. And that characterized the town. And, and it's almost like there's this um, geographer, the ge, I'm sorry, geographer, geo, geographer, geographer, thank you. Why is that so difficult for me? I even took a geography class in college. A geographer named Starbo who um, was an he was an ancient geogra- geographer. <laughs> All right, everybody, say geographer. geographer. I see. I should have said that. An ancient geographer named Starbor once um, rephrased the words of Jesus like this: "Were you hot for bathing or cool for drinking? At least you would have been useful. But it, but as it is, I feel toward you the same way you feel towards your water supply. You make sick." And so what Jesus is saying here, a lot of times pastors like to use this for, Jesus is saying, I wish you were either hot or cold. Well, Jesus doesn't wish you were cool spiritually. Jesus doesn't hope that you're either hot or cold. I mean, think about the implications of that. We've always used this verse to say, I wish you were hot or cold. Hot meaning, I'm on fire for you, Jesus, and cold meaning, what, you walk away from God? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, this is the way, when I look at your faith, When I look at the faith of your town, when I look at your churches, this is what I see. I wish you were either one or the other. I wish you were like this natural hot spring, which brings a healing value and actually has a purpose. Or I wish you were like this cool spring, which has a purpose. But the way I look at my church is like when I drink this lukewarm cup of water and want to hurl. And that's what Jesus is saying to one of his churches. Wow. Wow. I wish you were doing something useful with your lives. I wish the community actually wanted you here. I wish that you guys would take this call. Don't you know what it is you're called to? Don't you know who you are? And that's what was going on in this church. This church had so lost touch with what Christ had called them to be that they were essentially useless to their own community. A church ought to be useful. A church ought to be wanted by their community Members of the community, we ought to go knock on doors and say, Hey, if Neighborhood Christian Fellowship were, were to just implode tomorrow, what would you miss about us? And they should be able to say, I miss th- that. I know people who have gone there and been saved. I know that, that people have gone there and had relationships redeemed. I know that I've seen people go in and come out completely different people. <laughs> I know that I've been served and my community has been served. I mean, the church should enjoy the favor of the community and it says that in a number of different places in the in the gospels or I'm sorry in the book of acts and things like that because the church should do such great work for the community that the church that the community demands the church's presence there this was a church <coughs> who had completely lost relevance in their own community Oftentimes when churches turn inward and only focus inward, they completely lose relevance to the outside world. Every week we have this Thursday food truck event, and it was so cool this last week. We had a band playing classic rock songs outside, and we had people that we were talking with that were our neighbors. And it's a great way for us to intentionally be outward focused. Um, Because people, our neighbors in our community come, and we just get to say, hey, we love you. And, and we get opportunity. I mean, there's people, maybe they're not coming to church exactly, but there's kingdom conversations happening. Right, Ernie and Nora? Every single week, they've got a couple at their table that they're having amazing conversation with. And so here's what God says. I counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire, white clothes and slav for their eyes. This is what he's saying is you are relying on your industry and on your town. When Jesus says this to the town, I counsel you to buy this from me. In other words, I counsel you to rely more on me than you do on your own economic stability. In Mark 10, and we looked at this in our money series a couple weeks ago, I'm sorry, a couple months ago now. In Mark 10, one of the things that, that Jesus says is how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. They, harder for, than a camel to enter through the eye of a needle. And the reason why Jesus said that is because when we have lots, it's hard to rely on others. And our society, we've actually begun to engineer our society and engineer our lives so that we don't really need God. I mean, it's it's engineered this way. Um, Let's look at how we don't need community. We've engineered our own communities that we don't need our neighbor anymore. My alarm system when I was um, 10 years old, was a woman named Mary who lived next door. <laughs> uh, my, and I, here's what I mean by this. I would walk into my home late. My parents would still be uh, asleep. Well, not when I was 10. but or I, what, what, How about this? Sorry, I've got to get a better example here. I would be throwing rocks in my backyard into the neighbor's pool because I was 10 and because that's, I guess, what you did when you were 10. We would take dirt clots and we'd hit them with... Um, uh, tennis rackets into the neighbor's pool. Now, no one would know, except for Mary came over and told my mom. And my mom did one of these things and, and got me. And, and now we have different things like alarm systems. where We have different things like video cameras. We have different devices. Like on my phone, you, I can see where my family is on my phone and things like that. We've become so self-reliant in our own culture that we don't even have immunity anymore. Almost to the point where try and and have a conversation at the grocery store with somebody. Half the time people have conversations with you. Half the time people look at you like you're totally insane. Um, Because talking to your neighbor, talking to people in your community is even a little bit strange. A little bit taboo. Our society has engineered ourselves with phones with tablets with all this stuff to be self-reliant and that's okay that's okay to have all that stuff I mean I do I I, I enjoy it. it's a useful tool but to what we begin to lose focus with neighbor begin to lose focus with um, church and things like that we begin to engineer even <clears throat> you, you even begin to engineer um, not needing Jesus in church. Let me tell you this for an example. Um, Old-time old preachers would tell you. I mean, these are 1,700, 1,800 guys will tell you, you're called to be a preacher if you have a strong, booming voice. Right? You're called to be a preacher if, if you have a strong, booming voice. The reason is because you go stand up in front of a community people and you could boom your voice out there and everybody can hear you. We've got to, you know, rely on these guys. You know, it just... A lot of different ways to look at it. But we've even begun to rely on, on different things other than, than God. And that's exactly what the church was going through. They were relying on their own riches, their own wealth, their own self-determination to build their own lives rather than Jesus. And they began to lose focus. It didn't really matter to the community. They were kind of just this lukewarm state. And Jesus said, when I look at this church, it just makes me feel the same way you feel about your own water supply. Just try and help them get a, a grasp of what it is. <clears throat> to get a grasp of what it is, um, Jesus, how, how Jesus felt about them. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, one of the ways that the church became so self-reliant is in the medical industry of this town. Jesus said, I I counsel you to buy slav from me for your eyes. Slav was thought to help your eyes. It was a paste that you put over your eyes. and It was uh, to cure blindness. And I I can just imagine Jesus saying to the town, don't you know that I'm your healer? Don't you know that I could heal you? So buy this from me. In other words, rely on me for healing. relying on these ridiculous medical things. Now, Am I saying medicine's bad? Not even remotely. Not even at all. God has built people up to do medicine and, and given people wisdom and, and things like that. In fact, I'm very grateful for medicine. But what he was saying is you're buying into all this stuff that just is stuff. You know, it has no medicinal value. You're just buying into it to try and cure your own things. Why not come to me first? So the church began to engineer their lives To not even need God. Sometimes different things in our own lives become God. Sometimes our marriages become God's to us because that's where we feel love. And it's great to be in a great loving marriage, but we need to feel love and have love come from God so that we can better love in our marriages. Sometimes our um sometimes we engineer God out of our lives and in our jobs. We take our job as our source of income and our provider and, and slowly we begin to stop praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread because we rely so much on our jobs. In Scripture, different people started to do this. In First Chronicles chapter 21, we'll go there in a second, David got in big trouble with God because he was feeling this need for self-reliance. <clears throat> and I think there's a certain like fine line that you walk with self-reliance. I think God wants you to be able to take care of yourself while also leaning on him the whole time. But in 1 Chronicles 21, David did something that was completely detestable to the Lord. It was very interesting, and we look at this and go, well, we do this all the time as a culture and as a, a, as a nation. But, but here's what it says, chapter 21, 1 Chronicles, verses 1 through 7. Satan rose up and incited David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops Go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan, then report back to me, so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, May the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over, my Lord, the king. Are not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? The king's words, however, overruled Joab. So Joab left and went throughout Israel, then came back to Jerusalem. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to David and all of Israel. So there were 1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. Now, why would a military census be detestable to God? Because it's essentially saying, I want to know if I could survive without God. I want to know if I could be protected in my own city, in my own town, and do whatever I want to do without God. Because look at the trend in Israel. They would disobey God, and God would send another nation and come and destroy them. So if you have a strong military, strong powers, if you have a lot of people, then you could defend yourself. And so essentially what David was wanting to know is, I live however I want to live. And have enough military power so that I don't need to rely on God to protect me. So David's census became one of the last things that he did. It angered God because he was effectively engineering God out of Israel. And it angered him. The Pharisees did things like this as well. They began to, to take God's law that he gave to them, and, and, and they began to change him and make him things that they could do and make him things that, they would, that would make the Pharisees look good. <coughs> Jesus had quite a bit to say about this in Matthew chapter 23. <clears throat> We're getting there. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus had quite a bit of things to say about this. Verses 25 through 28, let me just go ahead and read these to you. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, <coughs> then the also outside will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of a dead man's bones, and everything is unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to the people as righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. The Pharisees did things to make it seem like they had it all together. They manipulated God's law to make it look like we were so religious. That's like why Jesus is saying the whole cleaning the outside of the cup or whitewashing the tomb. Essentially, what is on the inside is gross and disgusting and what's on the outside just looks good to men. And the Pharisees said, we want to just make it look like we have it all together and we have the favor of God. Don't we do this all the time in our lives? Don't, doesn't our inner Pharisee come out when we throw a smile, when inwardly we're being torn up? Doesn't our inner Pharisee come out when we say, we're trying? when we try to look better than other people? Our inner Pharisee tends to want to come out And our inner Pharisee really is this whitewashed tomb. It's really this lukewarm, gritty, nasty water. Sometimes we come to church and let on that everything is good when our relationships are in shambles. Sometimes we come let on that everything is going just fine. Or that we're the model of spirituality when in our own lives we're doing shameful things that we shouldn't be doing. And I think the question that we subconsciously ask ourselves and the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do we really need a relationship with Jesus to make this work? The answer is yes, of course, absolutely. But I think that sometimes these thoughts come into our own mind. I could do pretty good on my own. Or I make make plenty of money, I could provide for my family on my own. Maybe these thoughts like, I could just go to the doctor and, and be totally fine. I don't need to rely on Jesus for anything. Or I could just, I could handle this issue, it's not too big. I could handle it and I could just take it in. I could handle the stress. But really what God is saying is give that back over to me. We tend to want to be these people who could handle everything. We tend to want to be these people who are self-reliant, who are strong, because that's what's praised in our society. We want to be strong, self-reliant people until the emptiness in our inner Pharisee comes out and it begins to be I, 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 me, me, me. But the, the truth remains is although we can be self-reliant some of the time, we can't be self-reliant all the time. And we need to begin to rely on Jesus far more than we have now. When we go down the road of complete and total self-reliance, there's extremes. One of the extremes looks like um, an entire nation, North Korea. North Korea, their motto in English is self-reliance, that we could rely on ourselves. And they've become so isolated, they're an island, they're so poor and impoverished and isolated that they won't allow help from any outside country. You go down the road of isolation and <clears throat> self reliance. And so I think self reliance typically leads to isolation. Because when you don't ever need help from anybody, you could always do it on your own. And in isolation, you begin to negate community. Community is where you find Jesus working so powerfully. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons why Jesus says, Those whom I love, I rebuke. That word rebuke here is very interesting it's a lot of times we think of rebuke as a negative thing. But the word rebuke here actually literally translated means to honor. In other words, I love you so much I'm going to honor you with telling you you're going the wrong way. Now, in community, you could be rebuked. But in isolation, you can't be. So to to whom I love, I rebuke and and discipline so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. <clears throat> now a lot of scholars believe that with the meal that Jesus is talking about is communion. Jesus is the reason for that divine meal. And he says, here I am, I'm standing at the door and knocking. And a lot of us look at this picture of Jesus knocking on a door with do- no doorknob. And we think of like the door of our house. But he's talking to a church here. He's not talking to somebody in their house. He's talking to an entire church. It's like Jesus is standing up there knocking on the door, and it becomes so much about I, me, and our inner Pharisee that comes out that we can't even hear Jesus knocking on the door. And that's what was happening in this town of Laodicea. There was no repentance. There was no submission. There was nothing. It was complete self-reliance. And Jesus simply has this call to submit and repent. He says, if that's you, I want you to submit and to repent. The only cure for self-reliance is submission. is submitting your life to Christ. And saying, Jesus, you are are my strength, you are my shield, you are my rock. And you're the only one that can lead me. On my own, I, I constantly fail. But with you, all things are possible. So submit and repent. Repent means to go the opposite direction. This is a church that was completely useless to the community. I told you last week we had somebody come into our church and, and was sort of hiding. And, um, and they did a, a survey of our church and they they, they were a consultant and they looked and, and what I'm looking for is a baseline for our church, where we are at and where we need to go for the future. And... He asked this question of, of church people. And, and, you know, we have good things happening here at NCF. We have great things, and, and that came out in the report. And we have some things at NCF. And one of the things that, that he asked is, if this church were no longer in this community, how would it be missed? And as I was looking at these results, I thought, oh, good, somebody tell me something good. Um, and, I th- and I saw these results, and so I'm just going to read them for you very telling of where we're at now and where we need to be. So what would be missed at NCF? Things held on the property, so events, things like that. The playground, basketball courts, food trucks, <coughs> partnerships with, with dot coms and APU. And then somebody said, I think, I, I've been thinking about that and I can't think of a thing. Well, when I read that word, nothing, that just sort of hit me like a ton of bricks. And I thought, wow. Our church is sort of a little snapshot of each one of these seven churches, but where it says, um, to those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Turn the other way. Begin to follow me. There's a lot of people here who follow Jesus earnestly, and we need to continue to do that. We we need a couple things. We need spiritual revival here. If you're here and and you've been so self-reliant, chances are, Chances are you're not letting Jesus in to do the down, dirty, gritty work in your life. Chances are you haven't seen victory for a while. And we want you to see victory in your life. We want you to say, wow, I was this way and now I am this way. Because of Jesus' work in my life, there's been transfer. We want you to see that. So one, if you're self-reliant, we, we really just humbly, humbly say, We really believe that you need to submit your life to Jesus. And that's what it means to take your cross up and to say, Jesus, you are Lord, and I am not. So one, I I think we need to do that. Two, I think that the biggest danger the church in America faces is irrelevance. And we face irrelevance when we so inwardly look at our own body. And it's good. I mean, we need discipleship. We need a lot of things to build up our own body. But we also need to reach outward. And one of the things the consultant found is we're not doing a whole lot of outreach, and we need to do better on that, and we're going to in the coming months. But the biggest danger for the church is irrelevance. As I've looked at the history of this church, I have found that this church has been a vibrant place in the city of Covina, for over 50 years, coming up on our 60th year here in the next couple years. And I think that this church, i mean if you look in the span of history, 60 years is nothing. But I think that if, if we continue to get on fire for God, if we continue to say we're neither going to be cold um, in our spiritual temperament, but, but God, that we are going to do something useful for your kingdom in Covina, I think the floodgates are going to open. I think God is going to bless us in a huge way. Walls will come crumbling down, and the world will begin to shift right here in Covina because of the transformative work that Jesus can do. I mean, simply, I don't know about all you, but for me, I could tell you that I was one way. I spoke a certain way in my life, and after I met Jesus, He changed my words. I thought Certain thoughts and after I met Jesus, He changed my thoughts. I did certain things, but after I met Jesus in a powerful way, He transformed my character. So I could speak for me. And I believe God wants to do that on a massive scale. And whether it happens down the church at, at another, or down the street in another church, whether it happens in a home, whether it happens right here, I don't care. I just want God to do it. And I think God will honor that. So what I'd like to do today is invite us into a time of prayer. I'd like to invite Matt and, and Lindy and the band to come on up. And I'd simply would like to invite us into a time of prayer for en- Neighborhood, Christians Fellowship, Neighborhood Christian Fellowship's witness in the community. Maybe, maybe you would like to come here and pray at the altar as we um, begin. Let me give this to you, Matt. As we, begin to, as we begin to lead and worship here, maybe you'd like to just take a moment and pray for our church and say, God, we want, this, we want this to be a place where people come and get transformed, a place where people come to find and follow Jesus, a place where, where, where people come in and it's not irrelevant at all, but that they're changed by the power of the living God. Not a God who died in defeat, but rose in victory. Maybe you just wanna come and pray today, and so we wanna invite that for you right now. And I'm gonna lead us in a moment of prayer, and (laughs) we're gonna sing a song here in a moment that is really kind of an anthem. Let's pray. Father, as I think about the words that you gave to your church, as I think about the state that we are here at NCF, God, there's, there's huge things ahead. You're not done yet. God, you've been working throughout church history for over 2,000 years, and constantly you're rising people up to do it, raising people up to do amazing things. Lord I believe there's people here even right now, that are called to do some amazing things in your ministry. Lord, would you rise them up right here, right now? God, would you raise our church up right now to do some amazing things in our community? God, would you help us to see our community the way that you see it? God, would you help us to see our neighbors the way that you see it? God, would we look through, look at people through your eyes? God, I know that it is just tough when I read these words, those whom I love, I rebuke in discipline. Father, I pray that if we have missed it, if you've been knocking on our door and we have just been missing, it, Lord, we just, I just repent for that. Lord, I pray that each of us would have ears to hear you knocking at our own doors. And God, that we would invite you in not to live aside from our own lives, but to transform our own lives. (coughs) Father, there's some of us here today who have heard that call. There's some of us here today who are so self-reliant and and, want to do everything on our own that we've completely engineered you out of our lives. So Lord, for this moment, I just pray that for a spirit of repentance, God, that we would begin to follow you in powerful ways, Lord, and that we would sit, take a back seat to our own selves and allow you to take control, to do the transformative work in our own lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. I invite you to come and pray as you feel led.
1: You're the God of this city. You're the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in this darkness the hope to the hopeless, you're the peace to the restless. You are, and there is no one
2: like a God. There is no one like God, and greater things are yet to come. Greater things still to be done in this city and greater things are yet to come greater things still to be done in this city and greater things are yet to come and greater things are still to be done in this city and greater things are yet to come greater things are still to be done done.
1: I thought was both interesting and relevant to today. God has given us two hands, one to receive with and the other to give with. We are not cisterns made for hoarding things, we are channels made for sharing. It's time for the offering. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for all that you do for us on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis. Help us to never take you for granted or your blessings for granted. Help us to share what we have with others. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Never me. let mercy fall on me everyone needs forgiveness kindness of the saviour
0: how are we going to get there? What are we going to do to get there? You're going to see some events coming in the next couple months. We're going to have trainings and things coming in the next couple of months because you might be saying, hey, I've been self-reliant my entire life. How do I get there? We're going to have a lot of things coming up, so I just want to encourage you for that. Let's pray. Father, send us into this world. God, not as people who just came from church and need to kick our shoes off and go relax, but God, as your ambassadors as people who who bring your kingdom to everywhere that we go. God, as people who have your redemption, your salvation on our lips in every conversation, God, send us into this world as powerful agents of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.